When I was little, my dad used to tell me, Eric, if you just shut up and listen, maybe you'll learn something that you don't know already. And you know what? That's not exactly true. Because my dad was a gentleman and he never told me to shut up. But he told me sometimes in life, sit back and listen to what other people have to say. Ask questions. Find out about them. Learn something different. Learn something that you don't know. And put it to use in your own life. Welcome to Interview with Eric Martin Cobb. For those of you that know me, you know I love doing interviews with people that are up against, you know, have their backs against the wall and they, they struggle through and everything like that. And then you finally hear the outcome of it and it's just success. It's just amazing. And my guest today is the true definition of success. When you hear the words New York Comedy Club, okay, anyone that knows or understands New York Comedy understands exactly what the definition of success really is in the comedy world and i want to welcome to the show al martin al good morning how are you thank you good morning eric how are you today i am great you know you reached out to me on linkedin and you sent me a copy of your book and uh you know i get a lot of books and such like that but i was i was really taken with the when i saw it did it on a dare <laughs> you know now you, people love that title eric you know they uh, they tell me well, what was the dare and how did it all happen? And uh, it really was one of the better things I did with the with the book because, you know, it, it's a very catchy title. It really and, you is. Know, be- it, it, it truly is. I mean, people, you know, when they see that, they, they automatically like it's what grabbed my attention. I got to tell you, it's what grabbed my attention. Yeah, it's it's the gambling instinct in people like, you know, like. Really? What was that there? Absolutely. Now, you you state, and it says, you built a comedy empire in 30 short years. That's <laughs> yeah. not, see, now, that's the other thing. When you when you hear, when I don't consider 30 <laughs> short. <laughs> right, you know exactly. I, you know what I'm saying? Well, you know, in this day and age where everything is instantaneous and everybody wants instant answers and they, they you know, they're in the, the false world of social media and they think things can happen. You know, they think their friends are their friends on social media. Uh, that's why I thought it was an interesting um, thing to add in 30 short years. Right. You know, you're absolutely right. You know, that's that's the big thing about social media. Everybody thinks, well, I have 5,000 friends. No, you don't. <laughs> you no, you, you might not even have one. <laughs> I was, you know what? You were reading my mind. You were absolutely right. People in, in today's world, you know, with technology being what it is, and there's a lot of disappointment in the social media because a lot of people, you know, they go out and they figure, okay, I'm going to put out a post or I'm going to do this or I'm going to be on LinkedIn or I'm going to be on Instagram. I'm going to be on Facebook. I'm going to be on Twitter. And then nothing. <laughs> they're on nothing. They're, nothing. They're, they're still typing all of that from their parents' basement, eating dollar pizza and watching Netflix. <laughs> You were you a video of me? No. <laughs> so anyway, let's take take me back to the early years. You had uh, uh, now this was of course talking uh, back to uh, the Reagan era where you had the uh, one of the, was it the one of the largest polygraphs? I had one of the largest uh, private investigation businesses in New York City, and one of the things we did was lie detector tests. Uh, when a company would hire an employee. 
like Tiffany's or Cartier or the rest in peace, Abraham and Strauss and Macy's, they would want to make sure that that employee was a sound investment for them to hire. So they would send them to me and I would try to find out uh, their background, uh, if they did drugs, if they've ever stolen. And, uh, you know, usually I got very good at, at, at sort of, for lack of a better word, interrogational techniques and sizing up people. And many times, like, people would say to me back then, uh, well, you know, the polygraph isn't 100% accurate, and that's true. But what my technique more centered around was trying to get the admissions out of people and trying to befriend them in a way that they would basically admit to me, yeah, I took this from one company I worked for, I took that from another company, I, I, I smoked weed, but I never did heroin, you know, stuff like that. So I got very good at that. And, you know, you can't argue with an actual confession. You can always argue whether the polygraph itself worked or not. But when someone's admitting the stuff to you, 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 you really can't argue that point. And in sometime in the mid-80s, they outlawed it. Uh, basically, um, Reagan had some legislation that he wanted passed. And Senator Kennedy, who was the prime person against the polygraph, had some legislation he wanted passed. So they made a deal. And my profession was the sacrificial lamb. And I was given a year to close. And then I was wandering around and stumbled into comedy. Chappaquiddick, Chappaquiddick. <laughs> you know, that's, you know yeah. he was probably a, yeah. Yeah, that I, Kennedy. Yes, yeah, it was that, that Kennedy. Chappaquiddick, yeah. Chappaquiddick. Yeah, that's you know, and uh, it it really, I I can't imagine. I mean, you have this great, you got a really good business going, of course. Um, and you know what the thing is, as far as polygraphs, you know what's funny is that today, all the TV shows, like you know, like uh, yeah. Steve Wilkos and and Maury and everything like that, they focus on you know. You are the father, you know, or the, the polygraph yeah. of the DNA. And, and a lot of the guys that I knew from uh, the polygraph days are the polygraph examiners on those shows. Uh, a good friend of mine who was actually my partner for a brief period of time in polygraph, Judd Bank, uh, does a lot of the polygraph for a lot of those TV shows. It's, it's, you know, those TV shows, they, like, draw you in. You know what I'm saying? They, yeah. You know, they draw yeah. you in. And one, uh, one thing I was always wondering with regards to the polygraph, and, and it was ex actually explained on the Wilco show, Steve had the guy come out, and, and he said, you know, the, there's certain things that people try to, to, uh, to, you know, to get it so, you know, they figure they can lie and fool the polygraph and such like that. And he basically said, point blank, he said, you can't. <laughs> you can try all the things. No, there, it is very difficult. You know, the polygraph uh, revolves around involuntary responses, and those are the responses we, we generally don't have control over. So as much as we try to control it, the generally the polygraph, through a few different methods, will pick that up. Absolutely. All right, let's jump. Okay, let's jump into comedy. Yeah, now. Get out of polygraph. Let's get out comedy. of polygraph. All right, so here's the thing. Now, you actually were on the stage as a stand-up comedian, correct? Yes. And Yes, with, I did with, it on a dare <laughs> with, with dice. Now, what happened? Tell everybody, tell everybody the Andrew Dice, if you can tell us in a, in a quick jump here. Let's you, Andrew Dice Clay was on the stage. Take yeah, basically, this. what happened was some some girl I was dating asked me to do stand up comedy uh, on a dare uh, because she had asked me to watch her, and I was you know after the fifteenth time of her asking me how I did, 
I said to her, finally, after saying 15 times it was great, I, fi- I figured she'd stop it. I said, you know, it really was not great. It sucked. And we got into a big fight. She dared me to go on stage. I went on, di- uh, I went on at Pip's Comedy Club. It was about 11.30 at night. I was the next comic scheduled up. And in strolls Dice, and he decides to do 45 minutes to run through his HBO special, which was going to air later that year. We're talking around 1989. And the entire audience left the showroom to go to the bar area to hang out with Dice and talk with him. And the MC introduced me, forgot my name. I came on stage and I did about as bad a bomb as you could possibly do on stage. And I don't know why why I decided that this was a road I wanted to do a second time. But the next thing I knew, I became immersed in stand-up comedy, started doing it uh, three, four, five times a week. And, and I guess because I really, at the time, I, I had nothing else going on. So I said, you know, this is a good time for me to, to try this. And, and um, I think at first what I loved about it was the different unique people I was meeting doing open mics. And I really wondered, are, are they truly this insane and it turned out, yeah, they were, you know, and uh, and I became one of the insane ones and, and, and pursued stand up. Absolutely. I did. I did some I tried to do the stand up thing myself, too. And um, it's rough. You know, it is, especially when you get on that stage, you know. For the, it's oh, working. yeah. It's you working. know, you think you're funny and then you walk on there and you're very lonely. It's you versus, you know, uh, 10, 20, 100 people in the audience and. You got to make them laugh, and you got to make them laugh quick. And especially, I really hand it to um, to the young comedians of today doing stand up because it becomes even rougher with political correctness. It becomes uh, rougher with um, uh, people paying attention to their cell phones and checking tomorrow's stock futures, and you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. While you're trying to tell them a joke. It's a challenge. Absolutely, I agree. I want to, you know, one of the things that that it, about Al that I want everybody to understand is, and it's in, it's in the introduction to the book, so I'm quoting from this. It's he was and still is instrumental in the birth of postmodern comedy that began in the '90s. All right, so this is, you know, he started out as a, you know, doing stand-up comedian, okay, and has built it into what it what he built today. Okay, and in a few short 30 years. All right. This was not something that what point I'm trying to make here for you. There's a lot of you out there. I know that are uh, that love to do comedy. I know I have a lot of listeners that are uh, stand up comedians and they go to the open mics and such like that. And, I, you know, overnight. Is there such a thing, Al, as overnight success? No, no, not really. Um, No, (laughs) Uh, it, it make it akin to baseball. When you watch a guy like uh, Derek Jeter or uh, um, Mickey Mantle or any of the great baseball players, you watch them, LeBron James in basketball. LeBron James did not start out as LeBron James. LeBron James started out playing, you know, junior basketball, uh, high school basketball. You know, they play basketball, basketball, basketball. They live it. They breathe it. And that's how they eventually become the stars they are. Same thing with guys like Kevin Hart or um, uh, Kevin James or or um, all the great Jerry Seinfeld, Ray Romano. 
all these great comics that we know, they didn't just wake up and hit an open mic and became great. There, there was a, a foundation put in, many hours, many, many bad open mics, many bad sets starting out till eventually they, they became who they were. I love watching, there's a Seinfeld episode where Jerry's doing stand-up in the clubs, and uh, I think it was Kramer that, um, that like, starts heckling him. And, and Seinfeld comes yeah. out, he goes, what the hell were you doing? Right. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, bombing. What like are you that. doing? What are you doing? You know, yeah, that's it. That's the voice. There you go. Well, that Kramer was based on a real character, Kenny Kramer, who uh, uh, did some stand-up for a while on the New York circuit. Is he still doing the bus? The Seinfeld bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last the I Seinfeld, heard, he was. The I don't Seinfeld know if tours. Changed. You know, yeah. my Broadway comedy club is only a, a block away from the original uh, soup Nazi kitchen. Right. You know, the where he did right. the soups on Eighth and Fifty Fourth. Right. I actually had a no Fifty Fifth. Actually, actually, uh, I actually went there. Uh, did it? Did a live interview with uh, with him as and he, you know he dressed up and there was actually a, there's a a kitchen soup kitchen. That was over on uh, Ninth Avenue, which the New York Times said was nicer than some of the finest restaurants in New York. And I actually uh, actually met him there, and then we went over to the uh, the little hole in the wall, you know. And right. it's funny how you know it's funny how he he explained to me, you know, with the part and how he got it and what he did and how it just blossomed into something that you know just as to what it is today. You know, people, yeah, he wound up franchising the whole thing. I don't know how that worked out, absolutely. you know, but he 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 oh opened up uh, a real big operation yep, from the whole sure, thing. He sure did. What would you say, all right, was your biggest obstacle to getting to where you are today? You know, I think more than anything, uh, not to get too political on it, but I think uh, government regulations and government um, uh, bureaucracy, you know, uh, I, I would open more businesses uh more comedy clubs uh if not in new york and other places but you reach a point in life when when you deal with with bureaucrats in the government uh you know giving you 46 million res uh, um, regulations on how to conduct your business that you know it's easy to do when you're behind uh a desk uh and um you've never run a business in your life you put out all these um, bulletins on what to do, and it, it gets to the point where it's nauseating, and you say, you know what, I, I don't want to deal with all this nonsense. I'll just deal with what I have now. So I give credit to people that go out and build uh, multi-venue uh, businesses, you know, because it just takes a tremendous amount of energy out of you to deal with, with the red tape. Red tape. That's what I hate. Red, red tape. Red tape. I agree, especially in today. I mean, with everything that's going on with COVID nineteen and the pandemic and everything like that, it's got to be really, you know, really hard. You. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I think the next book might be, you know, did it on a dare. How I built an empire in thirty years and how COVID destroyed it in three months. You right. know, I or, mean, or, uh, or how I there, how I kept my empire alive during the COVID nineteen pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, you, you you know, constantly I get comedians and customers and people ask me all the time, when are you reopening? And I just have no idea, you know. Uh, they were ready in New York City to go into phase three for restaurants, which is opening at 50% capacity. You know, one I think yesterday in all of New York State, 14 people died of COVID. And, and uh, of course, you know, 14 is 
14 is still a number, but I mean, in relation to what's being destroyed and ruined and businesses being closed, on the other hand, you can see based on, you know, a state like Florida that reopened the, the spike in cases, but, you know, Florida is making the argument that yes, there is a, a spike in cases, but when you look truly at deaths and, and everything and hospitalizations, only 1.5% of the people that are getting the, the, the COVID now are dying. You know, Absolutely. a lot of them are younger people in their thirties, you know, stuff like that. And, um, they recover a lot quicker. So I think at some point we need to think of a balance, right. a real balanced approach where we start opening businesses and, you know, those who are vulnerable, you know, with uh, underlying symptoms should stay clear until there is a, a vaccine. And, you know, hand, if you're going to go visit your grandparents or, or your parents, maybe wear a mask until this thing is done. But you know, you read somebody, Bill, they don't even want to bear, bother wearing masks, Absolutely. you know, and I, I, I sort of fall in that middle ground, I, I you know, open that. up, open up businesses, but wear a mask, socially distant. What, what's so hard about that during a, a, a pandemic? I would think, you know, it'd be funny if you had a stand up comedian that was in the club and all of a sudden he started, he, he, he had, he put up a sign face mask for sale and people in the audience that weren't wearing face masks, he sold them a mask for a dollar each. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's unprecedented times. It and is. It we're really not is. getting any indication from the city of New York when we're going to be allowed to reopen. We were hoping for, based on all the phases uh, that they came up with, uh, late July, early August. But now they're going back on phase three for restaurants. We're in phase four. But there's not even a discussion on our particular business in stage four. They've only put out guidance for other businesses that are in stage four. Movie theaters, God knows what's happening with them. Broadway theaters have now gone to next year, 2021. And quite honestly, you know, I think New York's got a very big problem now with the perception of crime in the city, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the the, the perception of crime is horrific in New York. Uh, People don't feel safe. Now, whether that's the reality or not, you know, depends on the area, depends on the neighborhood. But more importantly, whether it's true or not, the perception is there. Absolutely. So now you have tourists that are afraid to begin with to come to New York. There's nothing to do. And then when, yeah. yeah, there's nothing to do. They come into yeah. Well, that was my next point. So even if you come to New York, it, you know, Broadway theaters are closed. The restaurants are are not allowed to open. Like, all right, this is a lovely concept, outdoor dining. It's 105 degrees. I see. You know, yep, New- you're absolutely or, right. Or pouring rain. Do you really want to be? I mean, look, I don't mind eating outdoors when it's 70 degrees with a nice breeze and it's beautiful. Al Fresco, blah, blah, blah. It's 105 degrees. I don't want to be outdoors. I said the same thing. I said the same thing to my wife the other day. I said, I have no desire to go sit outside, be eaten by mosquitoes. And, you know, exactly. I mean, we go to, why do you go to a restaurant in the summertime? You go there and you hope the air conditioning's working well. You know, you want to cool. Right. The ambiance. Look, maybe I'm a little older. I don't know, but I like ambiance. I like the lighting. I like some music, Mm, you know, uh, relaxing music. You know, you go here, you're eating outside, and I'm noticing what's going on outside. They're not socially distancing. They're putting people, tables on top of each other. It's like nobody got the memo, you know? I agree. 
All right, let's jump. We're going to jump to yes. let's talk about you had you you had a foundation going, you had a club going, you had things going, and then all of a sudden the floor gets pulled out from underneath you, and you're walking down Second Avenue. Tell tell me about the. I, as a matter of fact, I was on Second Avenue yesterday. If they don't, st- I, let me tell you something. As far as traffic, it's back. <laughs> Between the traffic, oh, and is the it? Okay. Oh my well, God! Traffic and construction. It took me real quick. It took me an hour and fifteen minutes to get from like Eighty Sixth Street down to the Sixties because of the construction moving everything into one lane. So believe me, it's back. But anyway, all right. So you're walking down Second Avenue. Describe that to us. That how, that feeling. Well, what it. happened was we we were doing stand up comedy shows in a hula hands on 42nd and Lex right on that corner. And, um, I would basically stand outside of grand central station telling people comedy tonight, great comedy, give them a ticket. And we'd wind up filling up the room. Well, what happened was, um, one evening showed up about an hour and a half, two hours prior to the show to set up the microphone, do a sound check, get the box office ready. All of a sudden the manager comes over to me, no notice. He could have called me on the phone and, Says, Alec, I got bad news for you. We can't do the shows anymore. I go, what? He goes, we had a reggae concert here the night before, and there was a shooting, and corporate has canceled all shows of any sort uh, involving entertainment. You know, one of these bureaucratic things, right? Did you so, tell him you promise you won't do any reggae? <laughs> well, I did, but that was to no avail. Didn't work. And, okay. uh, you know, basically, I had to spring into action. I, I kept. Uh, a partner of mine by a, a pay phone uh, back then there were no cell phones so you know he stayed by a pay phone i had a bunch of quarters on me and i ran down to second avenue started looking for locations and i found this bar on 48th and second and they they had a second floor room and i go to the guy are you doing anything with that room upstairs tonight do you have a par- private party or anything and he goes no it's empty i said well if i brought you 60 people 70 people tonight would that be worth it for you for us to do a comedy show up there? And he goes, come on, you can't do that on an hour and a half notice. And I said, I think I can. And when he said yes, I called my partner. I told him where our location was. He started directing people there. I started setting up. And uh, the rest was history. We did a show that night. We filled the club with 60 people. And then... The guy on the way out asked me, do you want to do this next week? He turned out to be the owner, the bartender. Uh, and I said, sure. And then the next thing I know, we were doing it every Saturday night. We added Friday, Thursday, became college night. And the rest was history. What kept you going on 2nd Avenue? Did you ever just say, I had enough? What What gave you that motivation to, to I mean, you, you, you describe it as huffing and puffing. So what yeah, well, you mean what gave me the motivation to find the place, or like, I mean, the guy comes up to you and he says to you, you know, we can't do the shows anymore. It had to kind of like floor you a little bit. I mean, what kept you? Well, going? Sir, sir, Eric, it was survival. You know, uh, I had been through this once before with the polygraph business. You know, the polygraph business, I built it to a successful business, and you know, it got pulled out from under me, and now I was 31 years old, not 26 or 27. And all of us, you know, my kid was getting older and, you know, needed things. And, and, and I said, Whoa, you know, I, I, I can't have this happen to me again. I just can't have it happen to me again, where I put my heart and soul into something and it gets yanked out from me. And, you know, I, 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 I didn't see any, 
any stop signs. I just had to do something, and I went and did it. Which brings up Al Martin's golden rules of comedy. All right, right? So There are a few of those. All right, well, I like this one. He or she, who has the least going on in their life, has the best chance to succeed. I love that. And I know there's a lot of you out there, okay, there's especially with what's going that kind of, you know I just got goosebumps now I'm being I'm really I did because there's a lot of you out there okay that have, are struggling you know maybe you're you're not working you know uh, even with the stand-up comedians you can't go to you know the bars they you know you can't do anything so it's like yeah you know, it's, all, uh, you know? it's down to zoom shows and quite honestly I think those are horrible you know yeah. you don't get any kind of audience feedback it's just it's a band-aid that's yep. about it absolutely i agree with you the the floor that the second floor that you uh the new place that you found all right let's talk about uh let's talk about uh, mr dangerfield there all right didn't he yes yes so the history of that room before i didn't know it at the time on that particular saturday night when i was looking on 10 minutes notice to find a room but i didn't realize that that room had an earlier history to it and 30 years earlier, it was a very famous nightclub in Manhattan called The Living Room, uh, where a lot of celebrities used to perform there. The Frank Sinatras, the Tony Bennett's, the Dean Martins. And, you know, it was like a lounge. And basically, there was a house comedian. Uh, his name was Rodney Tangerfield in the room. And one of the band members was a guy named Tony Pavacqua. Well, both those two guys got together years later and they built Dangerfield's comedy club and opened it up. And it was patterned right after that little living room with the banquette tables, the paneled walls, the sconces, the red draperies throughout the place. And when Carson came back to do his last week of shows before he went off the air, Rodney was in town and was just trying to do as many spots as he can to work his seven minutes. And he walked into this venue. He saw the sign, as he said. I saw the sign that said a comedy club on here, New York Comedy Club. I've never heard of it or seen it. And I, you know, I was just walking down the street and said, I'm going to do a set. And he came in, asked to do a set. He did it. And as he walked out, you know, in his classic form, he's going, Hey, I'll tell you something. This place looks familiar to me, you know? <laughs> and I said, I said, I said, well, it's been a comedy club. He goes, was this place the living room? I go, yeah. He goes, I got my start here 30 years ago, you know? And, and, and that's, you know, and it was the, he said it, he said it was the inspiration for, for the Dangerfields room that they opened up. Yep. I, I, Dangerfields right there on second Avenue. Still, I've been to Dangerfields. Yeah, it's still there. People. And still has the red draperies and the paneled walls yep. and the leather banquettes. Yep. I listen. People love to laugh, and it's you know when when they go to a comedy club or even for whatever reason when they're watching you know comedy and they they love to laugh and laughter. All right, my friends. All right, you know helps it helps us health wise as well. You know what I'm saying? So this is oh, absolutely. You know, so this is something. I mean. Especially in today's world, I mean, you know, you got to have a little bit of laughter in your life, I mean, one way or the other, and uh, and what you're doing as far as bringing comedy, all right, and the way you brought comedy, and the things that you went through, and we talk about it, doing it on a dare over a 30-year period of time, is just so inspirational, and so I, I mean, 
I'm honored to talk. I'm honored to talk to you because it's like, thank you, man. I really, thank you very, I really very am. much. And I'm honored to be on here. Thank you. you there's know? so, there's so much in this book, folks. There's so much on the book and the book and, and I'm going to let Al tell you how you, you know, how you can get a copy of the book and such, but it's did it on a dare. He built a comedy empire before we give them a link to that and how they can get in touch. Sure. With folks, where are we at in today's world? I mean, which, you know, where are we at? What do you foresee? Well, where do you see comedy today? And where, where are you going? Where is Al Martin taking comedy in 2020? Well, I, listen, my hope first and foremost is to get back operating and opening my venues and, and bringing comedy back again. Cause I think it's something we sorely need. I think from two perspectives, I think one, we need, all to be getting back to work because we all have way too much time on our hands. Some are using it productively. Others are just getting themselves into all sorts of ridiculous debates on social media and fights and, you know, that don't solve anything and uh, nobody's minds are changed on social media. So I think it's, a, a, we, we've had our vacation. It's time to get back to work. And for me, it's making people laugh. I'm working on it uh, right now. Someone actually was so, intrigued and fascinated by the book that they've decided to write a screenplay on it. So I've signed a, a deal with someone. That's, They're that's putting great. together the screenplay for, for the book. That's a great idea. That truly is. That really yeah, is. Yeah, and I'm working on a docu-series on stand-up comedy. and So I've got a lot of digital uh, um, projects in mind. Of course, my first hope is to get the actual physical clubs open, and uh, we see where we go. When you get them open, can I bring my wife and come to a show? Absolutely. <laughs> VIP treatment for you, for sure. I'll get you a socially distanced space. Where, on the sidewalk? We even have some plexiglass <laughs> seating in the club if you want to be behind plexiglass. Really? Wow. I'm, you know what? I'll tell you, I, I, like I said, I love going to comedy clubs. We used to have a comedy club out here in Ronkonkoma. And one of the things, too, and real quick I want to bring to everybody's attention is, and one of the things you talk about in your book is people on the phones making phone calls and, and doing things like that. We didn't, you did, Back when you started, you really didn't have the social media aspect to be able to draw crowds in. It was a lot of word of mouth or phone conversations. and that Yeah, like back in those days, you talk about Ron Conkema. I think there was East Side Comedy Club, McGuire's yep. in that yep. area. Yep. And, you know, you would see those ads every Friday in Newsday, you know, with uh, – Who's performing at the local comedy clubs? And and in New York, it was right. the Village I, Voice. Yeah, remember and, that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. What would yeah, you, all those all those publications are struggling, or in the Village Voice's case, it's gone. You know, you tell someone Village Voice, they look at you like, what the hell was that? You yeah, know, you know, it it's it's a different world. It truly is. All right, so a young comedian comes to Al Martin. He wants to be on the stage. He wants to do stand up. He's young. What is what do you say to him? I, I say to him, we have a great open mic. You could start out at our open mic. And, you know, there's other ways, uh, Eric, to, to get on stage. Some people say, I'll never do an open mic. Open mic should be one of the many weapons you have in your arsenal to try to get on stage. You can you can intern at the clubs, you know. And, and for those who say interning is exploitive, uh, tell that to some of the really good comedians that went on to become success stories in comedy by interning so it you know that's the thing that works two ways we get someone to do things for us like seating people answering phones and in exchange a comic gets the valuable stage time the oxygen that they need to develop their careers so uh interning is a great way to get on stage uh 
selling tickets out in the street, you know, is a way to earn money as well as get stage time. So there's multiple ways. And all I can tell a young comic starting out is go up and do it. You just got to do it. There's just no other way to become a success. Practice Socialize at these uh, open mics. Because socialization, as hard as it is, because most comics are not uh, very social, they're socially awkward, you never know who you're going to meet. And there's a couple of fascinating stories in the book about how I met people on my journey that, you know, helped me to go further in my career. So you never know that person you're going to meet at a comedy club or at an open mic that might be able to help you down the road really progress in your stand-up. Absolutely. All right, so if they want to get a copy of the book or they want to reach out to you, let's talk about links. How, how can Okay, they do getting the book, uh, they go to Amazon. It's uh, just Google Al Martin, uh, and uh, the book will pop up. It's I did it on a dare. How I Built a Comedy Empire in 30 Short Years. It's available on Kindle. It's available on paperback. Uh, iTunes has the audio version of it. And uh, when I get back to New York, I'm going to hit some bookstores. I'll announce that on my social media pages uh, for Broadway Comedy Club, Greenwich Village Comedy Club, and my personal one. Uh, and we're hopefully going to do it if it reopens in the fall at the Friars Club. I'd like to do a, a book signing over there, a book signing at my club. So we'll be very active promoting the book the, in the course of the year. I really do. When you get back to New York and things start opening up, keep in touch with me. Let me know because I'd like to help you promote that. And also, uh, I'm going to buy a copy of the book and I'm going to come when I when we meet face to face. I'm going to ask you to sign it for me. All right, autograph. Absolutely. Right. I've been having a lot of fun doing that down here in Florida. Yeah. Uh, I've made a couple of appearances in places uh, doing some stand up. And, you know, they opened and then they had to quickly close again. But, you know, I've done some stand up and I've been signing books down here and it's great. Absolutely. I got here's a great idea. You ready for this one now? The comedian comes. Shoot. From, the comedian comes from Florida and he does the show from the back room because he has to be in quarantine. <laughs> All right. How am I doing? <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? You know? You're ready. I'm, You're ready. I'm ready. I, I'm ready. Have I'm... NBC call you for a contract. All right. Are you ready for my here? I'll give you here, here. Check this out. You're ready here. And then we're going to end this. All right. But here we go. All right. Okay. Why did the computer have trouble getting to work? Go ahead. All right. Because he had a hard drive. <laughs> Ah. Uh, uh, that was my, that was my audition all right so anyway listen al martin the name of the book once again tell them the name of the book did it on the dare how i built the comedy empire in 30 short years all right guys listen all right listen very closely all right it's great to laugh all right there are going to be points in times where you're not going to be laughing out there, all right? There's going to be points in times where it's going to feel like the floor is pulled out from underneath you. You might tape, someday you might be taking that walk down 2nd Avenue looking for that place that you're going to be able to put your what you have as a dream or a desire into it back into action because somebody pulled the floor out of you. Maybe it's not even your fault that the floor has been pulled out from underneath you, but you need to you need to keep going. You need to keep strong. You need to be in in today's world with everything that we're being attacked with and being pushed against the wall with folks it's going to happen. It's real. It's out there. But you know what? Dreams keep us alive. And this is what this man did. He had a dream. He didn't stop. All right. Yeah. All right. 30 years. 
you know what? But you know what? Look at him now, okay? What he did with the success and such like that over a 30-year period of time, he's enjoying life. He's enjoying life because he didn't give up. So the message here that I'm sending with this particular show today, don't give up. This is an inspirational book. He's a motivational. If you're in comedy, you want to reach out to him, you know, hey, do it. Do whatever it takes to make your life what it needs to be, what you want it to be. It can be done. Al Martin Great did word. it. He did it. And the book talks all about that. So be sure you get a copy of the book. Al, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an honor and a pleasure, and I truly look forward to meeting you in person. Thank you, Eric. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me.